Well, good morning. Good morning. Hi. I'm Steve Wallen. I'm on staff here at Genesis Church. It's, it's my privilege to get a uh, talk to you this morning. And uh, it's one week until Christmas. Uh, one week from today, we'll all have, have that uh, Christmas present hangover, probably. Uh, we'll have uh, drunk all the eggnog we can drink. We'll have opened all the presents we can open. And, and probably you'll be, uh, at least some of your kids will be asleep on the couch again already. Uh, it's, it's that time of year. And it's the time of year for me. Um, it's kind of been a rough weekend. It's the Christmas party weekend, right? Anybody else have any Christmas parties yet? Yeah, so um, one week before Christmas, that means it's our staff Christmas party. Uh, and, and Genesis Church staff, I don't know how well you know our staff, but we get a little crazy, get a little wild, as you can imagine, being on church staff. Uh, the one day a year we get to do that. And, and I was really uh, excited to open the church staff Christmas gift this year. Um, if you were here last week, you'll understand the significance of these. Um, and we, we open these up. Everybody got a pair. No, that's not true. Uh, you know, Paul on the back and Moomal down the legs. Was anybody here last week? Did you hear this story? Okay, good. Thank you. This was not actually the, the church uh, staff Christmas gift. This was actually a white elephant gift that we got. Uh, T-Rock made those, and I was so excited when we got them that I had to just uh, um, steal them uh, so that I could use them up here on Sunday, and now I'm, I'm starting to regret that decision, actually. So, um, <laughs> But it is the time of year when, when we celebrate, isn't it? I mean, Christmas is all about joy, uh, and, and whether we're getting together with family or, or we just get that quiet day at home on Christmas Day, we often, uh, most of us anyway, associate Christmas with joy and joyful uh, celebrations and dinners and, and uh, joyful parties and things like that. But, but I think it's important, too, that we acknowledge that uh, not everybody associates Christmas with joy, uh, that there are, there are people this time of year that get really lonely. I mean, we know from all statistics and studies that, that suicides are higher around Christmas than any other time of year. And, and, and it, may, it may be people who are just all by themselves, or, or it may be uh, that time of year when you've had to, you know, this is the first Christmas without so-and-so. You know, um, whether mom passed away this year, or, or uh, your brother's in the military serving somewhere, or, or you have a family member or a relative that's, that's moved away. And so it's, it's, it's a great time of year. It's a celebratory time of year, but for some people it, it's, it's hard. And so as you go through your routine, um, just remember that. Uh, be, be sensitive to that. And, and I just want to just help you associate with that and to help with the message this morning. I want you to close your eyes with me. And I want you to think about your most difficult or saddest goodbye. I know for some of you this will be really hard, but, but think about your most difficult or saddest goodbye. Just get that in your head. Okay, maybe it was a, a friend who was moving away and you weren't sure when or if you would see them again. You know, maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend leaving for somewhere. You know, maybe it was a, a friend or a family member who, who is joining the military who's going to serve our country somewhere. You know, maybe it was even a bedside goodbye for a loved one that you knew wasn't going to make it. You know, think about that. Get that in your head for a minute. What do you see? What, what sights are around? How do you feel? Well, we're in this series we're calling The Untold Story. And we're talking about how most of us uh, have heard the Christmas story so many times that it gets kind of stale, doesn't it? I mean, you might think, if I have to hear the story of a baby in a manger one more time, I just don't think I can take it. Uh, or, or maybe you think about, you know, you hear about the shepherds and they're watching over their flocks by night in the fields and, and the angel appears before them and they were sore afraid. And, and you think, 
when does anybody ever use that term, sore afraid? I mean, the only time I ever hear it is if I'm reading the King James Version of the Bible or if I'm watching the Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus is up on stage with his blanket and he's telling the Christmas story and he says that the shepherds were sore afraid when they saw the angels. And nobody ever uses that term. Uh, I didn't even know what it meant. Uh, And so we hear these Christmas stories over and over again and stories that we only associate with Christmas. But there are aspects to Christmas that we don't often talk about or hear about. And in the few minutes we have today, I'd like to make the suggestion that Christmas is really a love story. Now, I know that's a little weird because when most of us hear love story, we think about couples, right? And maybe you think about couples when you hear love story. Maybe you think about Romeo and Juliet, or maybe I'm going to give you some suggestions. And just remember, I'm not really endorsing these movies or television shows. I'm just saying that This might be who you think of when you think of love story. And so this first couple is one you might think of, uh, Jack and Rose from Titanic. Any Titanic fans in the room? A few? Yeah. Um, You know, I had to put this one up for Allie, I think, Allie Boardman. Uh, You know, uh, this movie came out 14 years ago, if you can believe that. And, And to this day, I can't get on the boat without going straight to the bow and saying, I'm king of the world, you know, I have to do that. Or, or maybe, maybe you're not a Titanic fan. Maybe you're wired more like this. Maybe uh, Allie and Noah are your couple from The Notebook. You know, any, any Notebook fans in the room? Yeah. Oh, look at all the guys raising their hand. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, The Notebook. Uh, or, or maybe this is, this is my favorite couple right now. Uh, this is Jay and Gloria from Modern Family, from the TV show Modern Family. You know, there, there is a love that's meant to last right there. That is a love story, right? But there are lots of great love stories that aren't about couples. And in fact, Christmas is a love story about a father and his son. But there are other Really great love stories about fathers and sons, too, like this one. The Godfather, right? Marlon Brando played uh, Don Corleone, and Al Pacino played his son, Michael. Uh, A love story between a father and a son, or this one. Does anybody know this movie? Yeah, River Runs Through It, right? Uh, Tom Skerritt on the right played the dad, and does anybody recognize the younger son there in the middle? Yeah, you're very young Brad Pitt, right? Uh, Or this one. This is the father-son love story I love, uh, especially at this time of year, right? Elf. Right. But Buddy the Elf and and his father, Walter Hobbs, there is a a story of deep devotion right there with uh, with Walter and his son. You know, actually, the movie Elf is a great picture of what unconditional love looks like, isn't it? With with Buddy the Elf loves his father no matter what. Right. But to really understand Christmas as a love story, uh, the love between a father and a son, we have to delve into some pretty deep theological water. So I hope you'll stay with me here. I think you can. Uh, But before there was ever anything, there was a father and there was a son, okay? And John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, with God, and the Word was God. Now, when John talks about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. So, in the beginning was the Word, was Jesus, and the Word was with God. And they were closer than close. You know, since before anything, even time itself, they were so close that it's true to say that they were actually one. Right. John says the word was with God and the word was God. They were two, but they were also one. OK, I told you it was going to get deep. So John 17, 24, Jesus talking to God, talking to the father, says, you loved me before the creation of the world. So, so there always was there always has been a closeness, an intimacy, a deep sharing of all that they were and all that they are. You know, so think about uh, your closest relationship, whether it's with a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend or whoever that is, your closest relationship, there was a deeper bond 
a deeper relationship and a closeness and a oneness between father and son than any of us have ever had with anybody. But sometimes we do get a taste of what that love was like. And and remember at the beginning, I asked you to think about and visualize your saddest or most difficult goodbye. And and for for many of you, maybe that was when a child went off to college. Uh, And I know there are still, I still have a few more years before that happens. My girls are eight and nine now, but already I'm not looking forward to that day when I take them to college. I mean, they're still at the age where I still know everything. You know, I'm the dad that they they still love. They still want to be around. And so I love that. And so the time when they go off to college and become independent, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. And I know, I know that that there are going to be, that day when I drop my girls off, there are going to be guys Teenage boys circling the girls' dorm like little sharks, just waiting for the girls to be dropped off. And I know this because I was once a teenage boy. And so um, I, I think probably when I drop my girls off, I'll probably just drive around and give them the evil eye for like an hour or a day or maybe a semester, I don't know, um, and, and just try to keep those boys away. But I remember the day that my dad dropped me off for my freshman year in college, uh, the first of what would be my 10-year journey to get my degree. I'm sure he didn't bargain for that. Um, But I remember how silent the car ride was on the way up to Lafayette. And I I remember seeing for the first time all the buildings that were so new and and interesting that would soon become uh, old and boring to me, uh, the the buildings that I would go in day in and day out. And I remember driving through campus and seeing the Triple X in West Lafayette and thinking, that's weird, they have an adult movie theater right on campus? And then later finding out it wasn't an adult movie theater at all. It's a drive-in where you can get a root beer and a hamburger. And so, um, and Triple X is not just, I shouldn't say that. It's not just a drive-in. It's the home of the Purvis Burger. Anybody familiar with the Purvis Burger? All right, yeah, so we got some Purvis Burger fans in the room. The Pur- just as an aside, the Purvis Burger is a cheeseburger with peanut butter on it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, that's disgusting. But let me tell you. That, that there's this magic that happens when the, the peanut butter and the melted cheese and the grease from the hamburger get together and they congeal on your plate and then you take a french fry and you drag it through that, that magic concoction and you put it in your mouth. It is, we don't know what heaven's going to be like, but it's a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. I'm telling you, if you have not had a cheeseburger with peanut butter on it, you should go now. I mean, like you should get up and, I give you permission, get up and walk out Hear my heart on this. If you've never had a cheeseburger with peanut butter and you never have one in your life, I don't think it's a sin. I mean, examining all of Scripture, I don't see that it's sinful not to eat a cheeseburger with peanut butter. All I'm saying is you won't have the abundant life that Jesus promised you (laughs) unless you eat a cheeseburger with peanut butter on it sometime in your life. That's a Purvis burger. What was I talking about? (laughs) Oh, yeah. College. So I remember... Uh, the silence, right, as we unloaded clothes and, and furniture and things from the car and, and kind of the awkward, you know, handshake slash side hug uh, that I got when my, when my dad uh, went away. And, and I remember watching him drive away, and, and I remember not even crying until I got back to my dorm room, and then here came the gusher. And, and it came when I, you know, looked at all the clothes that I was now going to have to wash and fold and put away myself and... Uh, the, the dishes that I was going to have to take care of. And I saw the empty bed, and, and there was something just hollow inside. You know, it's like I, 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 I felt empty inside. I mean, I mean, I knew I could call and talk anytime I wanted to. But I think we all know that talking on the phone is different from talking to somebody in real life and being able to look somebody in the face and talk, right? 
It's, it's, it's different from having somebody there with you all the time, and, and it's hard. So think about this for a minute. For Jesus to become a human being, the son had to leave the father's side and come to earth. You know, that goodbye had to be painful beyond comprehension. You know, for the love of you, for your sake and for my sake, the baby in the manger left his father's side. Now, I know you can come to church every week and you can hear that God loves you and that Jesus died for you. But do you understand what it means that he was born for you in the first place? I mean, do you know what it costs the father and the son for Jesus to even be born in the first place? You know, the Bible talks about it this way. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says that though Jesus was equal with God, being in very nature God, he didn't consider that equality uh, something to be grasped. Like this equality that he had from all eternity, instead, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Literally, he, that, that making himself nothing, that literally means he emptied himself. Uh, biblical scholars and theologians down through the ages have wondered what this means, debated that it's, it's called the doctrine of the kenosis. Uh, kenosis is the Greek word for emptying, and it means that in, in order for Jesus to become a human being, he, he emptied himself. He had to empty himself. You know, he he remains one with God, but he's fully human. So some emptying, some kenosis takes place. Now, now what did Jesus empty himself of? Well, the Bible doesn't say exactly. Uh, was it that he gave up his ability to be omnipresent? You know, he, he, he can't be present at every place at, at every time. Or was it that he no longer knew all things at all times? Or was it that he allowed his power to be limited in some way? We're not completely sure. But there's one thing we're certain of. When Jesus became a finite, mortal human being, the Son gave up some of his closeness with his Father, and the Father gave up some of his closeness with his Son. No less love, you know, no less commitment, no less devotion, but the closeness between the two could not have been the same. So Christmas is a love story because Jesus and his heavenly Father said goodbye. And Jesus leaves the Father's side for Bethlehem. And Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. But before it was time for Mary to have her son, it was time for the Father to say goodbye to his. So for Jesus to become a finite, mortal human being, he had to leave the Father's side. He had to say goodbye. Now, a little over a year ago, I heard a story on National Public Radio uh, they told the previously untold story of a Polish soldier named Witold Pilecki. Now, Pilecki uh, lived during World War II, and he was fighting for the Polish resistance uh, when the Nazis invaded Poland. And Pilecki had heard rumors about what was going on at the German concentration camp called Auschwitz, uh, but nobody outside of Germany actually knew what was going on there. You know, it was thought at the time to be another internment camp or a prison camp. But what was not known outside of Germany was that it was actually a death camp. You know, but Pilecki suspected something different was going on there, something that they would never understand unless somebody could go in and find out. And so Vitold Pilecki did something that was unthinkable. He volunteered to be arrested by the Nazis. And he volunteered not fearing that he would go to Auschwitz, but he volunteered because he knew that if he were arrested, he would go to Auschwitz. He knew that he would be taken to the most notorious of all the concentration camps. And, and he was. He was arrested, and he was sent to Auschwitz. And Pilecki quickly found out what was going on. And the NPR story reported that, that food rations the prisoners were received there were intentionally low. 
And they were designed to only let the average man live for about six weeks. Anyone who lived longer than that was often accused of stealing food from people, and so they were beaten and tortured. But Pilecki found ways to survive. And for two and a half years, Pilecki lived and suffered among the imprisoned Jews and Russians and Poles in Auschwitz. You know, he found out that thousands upon thousands of civilians were being tortured. They were being massacred in the, in the gas chambers and then their bodies disposed of in the ovens. And, and, and he was able to smuggle that information out of Auschwitz in the laundry that the officer sent to a nearby town. You know, uh, Pilecki was eventually able to escape Auschwitz. After two and a half years, he was able to escape out a faulty back door. But he was the first person to get information to the outside world about what was really going on at Auschwitz, how terrible it was there, the horrors of the death camp of Auschwitz. But in order to get that information out, he had to go in. At the end of the, uh, or the, the NPR story said that having a beautiful wife and two kids he loved dearly, he decided to leave them behind to go to Auschwitz. Now think of what it must have been like for that goodbye. Think about what it must have been like to say goodbye to your wife and kids to go to the most horrific place on earth. I mean, I know it's hard for me to say goodbye to my wife and kids to come to work. You know, it's, it's hard enough for me to say goodbye to my wife and kids if I'm going on a business trip somewhere, if I'm going away. Uh, but, but imagine what it must be like to say goodbye when you're choosing to go to the worst place on earth, a place where people were only sent to suffer and die. Can you imagine what that goodbye must have been like? At the end of the story, they were talking about how virtually unexplainable it was that someone would volunteer to go to Auschwitz. But then the story explained this. It said, human beings were the most precious thing for Pilecki, especially those who were oppressed. He would do anything to liberate them, to help them. That's why he said goodbye to his wife and children. Because human beings, especially the oppressed, were the most precious things to him. You know, 70 years ago in war-torn Poland, a resistance fighter said goodbye to his family, knowing that where he was going would most likely cost him his life. And nearly 2,000 years ago, a son said goodbye to his father, knowing that where he was going would almost certainly, would certainly cost him his life. You know, there, there are lots of great things that happen in this life. And this time of year is certainly no exception. Things like Christmas parties and white elephant gift exchanges and, and great Christmas carols and, and all kinds of awesome things that happen, even outside of Christmas, day after day after day in this life. There's great stuff that happens. But I think we can all see that we live in a pretty messed up world. Can we agree on that? Like that our planet is broken. And it's filled with suffering and sorrow and pain. And though none of us, nobody on earth knows exactly what heaven will be like, you know, we're assured in the book of Revelation that God will be with us. You know, that, that God will wipe away every tear. And that there will be no mourning or death or crying or pain. And that heaven, that is the heaven that Jesus said goodbye to that first Christmas. And, and even at its best, earth had to be a kind of Auschwitz for the one who has always known the wonders of constantly being by his father's side. You know, at Christmas every year, we all hear the story of the wise men and how they brought gifts to, to Jesus, gold and frankincense and myrrh, or as one little boy last year in, uh, in our Gen Kids class said, gold and Frankenstein and myrrh, you know. Well, well, gold is a gift fit for a king. 
You know, gold is a royal gift. It, it represents royalty. It's, it's made for a king. It makes sense that Jesus would get gold. And, and frankincense uh, is an incense that's used to worship God. And so it's a great gift for someone who was born a god. That makes sense that Jesus would get frankincense. But myrrh is a sweet-smelling uh, spice or plant extract that's used in burial ceremonies. And so someone would get myrrh as a gift if they were going to die. Myrrh was a gift for someone born to die. Jesus was born to suffer and die. So here's the love story that is Christmas. When the father and son said their goodbye that very first Christmas, they not only knew that his birth as a baby in a manger would cost them some of the closeness they'd enjoyed since before the world began, since before time began, but they knew that they wouldn't see each other face to face until Jesus had undergone a gruesome death on the cross. Now, I remember hearing the story from a friend of mine of uh, taking her daughter to the Passion Play for the first time. And, and, and as they dragged Jesus through the auditorium and up on stage and, and hung him on the cross, you know, we all know how the story ends. But this daughter says, no, they're killing Jesus. They killed Jesus. And, and she tried to calm her daughter down by saying, it's okay. It's okay. He's going to come back. But I think that gut reaction is one that we should all have. You know, when we think about Good Friday, we think about that they killed Jesus. And, and, and God is the same way. And you can say, you can make the argument, oh, sure, but he knew. Well, sure he knew, but, but it's still his son. You know, any of you as parents want to see your kids tortured and beaten and killed, even if you know they're going to heaven? It's Jesus' dad. He's his father. See, I think we've been told that, that at Christmas, we're supposed to go to church and feel warm and fuzzy because baby Jesus was born. You know, we're a little bit like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights, you know, when he prays and he prays, dear Lord, sweet baby Jesus. Well, that's the Jesus I want to pray to. And at Christmas, that's the Jesus we want, right? We want the little baby Jesus in a manger. And then, and then not until Good Friday and Easter do we go to church and, and we're, we feel sorry for our sins that put him on the cross and what Jesus went through for us. But the road from Bethlehem leads inevitably to Calvary. You know, Jesus' suffering didn't start when he went to the cross. It started when he left his father's side. Has anyone told you that before? I mean, for the love of you, for the love of me, Jesus left his father's side. See, Jesus came to call us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But in order to do that, he had to come out of the light and come into the darkness. And for the love of you, uh, he went from the wonders of heaven to the Auschwitzness of earth. Or as one of my friends said, <clears throat> sitting from heaven, it must have looked like he was going halfway to hell when he came to earth. You know, for the love of you, Jesus left the one he loved the most and the one who loved him most. And so maybe today you're here thinking uh, you've never made that decision to accept Jesus as your Savior. And you, and you think, well, I just got to get some stuff together first before I do that. I'm not good enough. Well, let me tell you, Jesus thought you were good enough. He thought you were worth leaving his father and coming to earth for. Or maybe you're struggling with the idea of being baptized and you've made that decision to accept Christ, but you're like, well, I don't really want to make that public proclamation yet because I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready for that accountability. Well, Jesus thought you were good enough. Jesus thought you were ready. That's why, you know, while we were still sinners, he left his father and came to earth to rescue us, to rescue you. And so if you haven't made that decision today, I just implore you sometime today, think about that. Jesus left his father's side for you. You know, the story of a baby in a manger, the story of a virgin birth, it's a great story. You know, it's a good one. It's a miracle in itself. 
But without the rest of the story, it's meaningless to us. You know, the birth means nothing without the death. The manger means nothing without the cross because it's by the cross that we're healed. You know, it's it's from his death that our new life springs. And if we can see that, that's why we should celebrate his birth. So, Christmas is a love story. The story of a God who so loved the world and all the people in it that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, whoever would in faith come to him for forgiveness of their sin, and whoever would love him back, that that person would have, would be given, would receive everlasting life. If you believe, you will receive everlasting life. If you believe, you will receive everlasting life. It doesn't ultimately matter whether we can comprehend the depths of the eternal father-son relationship. You know, it, or it doesn't matter that we understand what it means that Jesus emptied himself. We, we may never, never understand those things this side of heaven. What matters is this, that we know that Christmas means a father and son both loved a sin-sick, lost in darkness, messed up death camp of a world so much that they decided to part and send the son down here for us. That love story, you need to know like your own name. The truth, though, is this. The greatest love stories, the greatest love stories that we've ever heard, that we've ever seen, that we've ever read, contain a love that flows in two directions. You know, from from one person to another, and then back again. You know, stories of love given, received, and reciprocated. We all know stories of unrequited love. You know, they're love that was not returned. But there's no more powerful love stories than those where at the end, the pursued changes his heart and becomes the pursuer. There's no mistaking it. When it comes to Christmas, <laughs> the, the, the love story of Christmas, we're the ones on the receiving end. You know, the, the, the father couldn't have given more. The, the son couldn't have done more for us. And what the father and son did, they did out of love. Do you know that? Have you received that this morning? You know, has Christmas to you become more than just this generic season of goodwill and good feelings? You know, has this Christmas, I just hope it will be the love story that overwhelms you and astounds you. I hope it will be the love story of Christmas that embraces you this Christmas. You know, may every manger scene, every Christmas tree, uh, every Christmas card, every gift, every dinner, every moment together with family, Everything reminds you of the love story of all that's been given to you and all that's been done for you in the name of love. This Christmas, may you experience the joy of being overwhelmed and overcome by love for the one who's loved you so much. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm so thankful today for the story of Christmas. It hit me as I was preparing for this morning that I always think of the great sacrifice of your son Jesus being on the cross and never really realized or, or think, don't think about very often what it, would, what it took to separate the father and son. And so I'm thankful this morning that in your uh, infinite wisdom, God, that you decided uh, it would be best to send your son to earth to save us. And God, we just admit this morning that we're not worthy uh, that, that we have fallen short, and each and every one of us uh, are not worthy to be called your children, but we're so thankful that you've decided we are, that you've decided 
that uh, we could be yours. And so I just pray this morning for uh, people, uh, even right now in this auditorium, God, that haven't seen fit to accept your son, the free gift that you've given, God. I, I just pray that their hearts would be changed. I pray that all of us, even those of us who have made that decision, God, that, that our pursuit of you would be harder and faster this time of year, that we would come after you strong uh, in, in the midst of Christmas, that, that even amongst the, the Christmas trees and the presents and the cards and, and, and the Christmas specials on television, that we would remember whether, whether Christmas is a sacred holiday in our house or mostly a secular holiday, Lord, that, that your son Jesus is the reason that we celebrate and that, that, that's, uh, that, that his death on the cross is important to us and it's as important as the birth. And so, God, I, just, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we've had this time together. I thank you for the story of Christmas and I thank you for the people who are here to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.